Mindfulness Mode 477. The feeling that takes you to the future is called anxiety. The feeling that takes you to the past is called sadness. And the feeling that takes you to other people and things is called frustration. Welcome, Mindful Tribe. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode. This is Bruce Langford, where you can reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Hey, everybody, I will be a guest speaker on the online Inspirational Leadership Summit, which is coming up early November, along with over 35 other speakers. And you can listen for free over three days, or you can pay to download all the sessions. Check it out at www.mindfulnessmode.com forward slash ILS standing for Inspirational Leadership Summit. Today, Mindful Tribe, I'm interviewing an author that I find fascinating. I truly enjoyed the, the interview and I enjoyed her book. I just ask you right now, just sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview today with Dr. Faye Mandel. Dr. Mandel, are you in mindfulness mode today? I live mindfulness mode. That's (laughs) awesome. I can tell that you do just talking to you here. This is such an honor to have you on the show. Now, Dr. Faye Mandel has developed what's called the self empowerment model. And we're going to talk about where she came up with this term. It's not the word empowerment, the self-powerment model, which teaches people how to come and stay in the present moment. Now, you may think that that is mindfulness. Dr. Mandel doesn't use the term mindfulness, but that's okay. I think we're pretty much on the same page here. This approach that she uses, this self-powerment approach, signals the inevitable trend towards the merger of the hard sciences with the psychology of consciousness and awareness. And that's exactly why I started the Mindfulness Mode podcast, to teach people how science and consciousness can combine. And this system allows people to have focus and choice and to be clear and allows people to access information and experience of living in the here and now. And Dr. Faye's book has been endorsed by, now get this, the amazing Eckhart Tolle. So we'll be talking about this. So I know that you don't use the word mindfulness, Dr. Faye, but if you did, well, let's let's just say, what does all of this mean to you? Self-powerment, mindfulness, consciousness, what does this mean to you? So there are two modes of getting information. One is from our senses that gets information from the outside in, and one from our inside that gives our body information from our cells, from our our our, our um, you know systems, our circulatory system, our neural system, our organs. We have a tendency to look at information from the outside, and not a tendency to look at information from the inside. As a matter of fact, the culture has charged feelings negatively. As a real matter of fact, the operational definition of feelings is totally wrong and an illusion if you look up in the dictionary. What feelings are, are information from your DNA 
to your awareness that tells you what actions you have to do to stay present. Feelings are information that indicate that you are losing your presence to things outside of yourself. And what the feeling does, once you pay attention to it, it jumpstarts the superior intelligence of the body. So you have a cut on Thursday, you look at the cut the following Wednesday, it's gone, correct? How does the body know how to do that? The body knows how to do that because it has superior intelligence. It also has superior intelligence to let us know when we're losing our capacity to be present because we, what we really need to do is we live present and choose to think. Because thinking is an exquisite thing, but it, but it, is, it has a function. And that is to create possibilities without actually knowing how to manifest those possibilities. And I'm going to give you an example. So one of the great physicists in the world is named um, okay, Neil Heidinger, okay? And Heidinger um, was, lived in 1925, and he was on a campus in Germany or wherever he was. And in that place, they had gas lamps. So what happens is he was looking at, at the gas lamp, and what emerged from the darkness was a human form and went through the gas lamp and then went into the nothingness. And then at the next gas lamp, it emerged, and he said, what if atoms are the same thing? What happens if they're not in relationship to something that they don't exist? And they changed, he changed the entire structure of how we understand matter and space and all of this stuff, because he imagined, he had what we call a thought experiment, okay? And that's what thinking is, it's a capacity. It's like a tool, let's say you're gonna hang a picture up and you, you put the nail in, you, you open your toolbox, you take the hammer, you put the nail, and you hammer the nail, and you put the picture up, and then you put the hammer back in your toolbox. You don't hammer your kids, or hammer your wife, or hammer your friends. It's a tool that you use for a certain function. And what has happened is that thought has gone out of control, totally out of control. And the reason why it went out of control is because people can't have been told not to pay attention to their feelings. And when you each feeling has in it, and action. So when you pay attention to the feeling, it jump starts your body's superior intelligence to perform the action to bring you back to presence. And yeah, I'm going to cut in here because I can't wait to talk all about feelings, but I want to talk about time and space first, because your self-powerment model helps your readers and followers get into the present moment by using these two compass points, time yeah. and space. Can you explain yeah. that to us? Yes, I can. So um, what, what uh, I will have a PhD in psychology and I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And in Cambridge, Massachusetts, there's an informal law that you have to go to school no matter how many letters and numbers you have after your name. Yes. So I said, okay, I'll take the Cambridge Adult Education book and I'll pick a course. Except that there were 5,000 courses in there. And so this was before I understood that random is the order of the universe. And I said, okay, I'm just going to put my finger down and whatever course I'm going to take, I'm supposed to take. And as I take meditation or photography or something like that, the course that my finger pointed at was called Quantum Physics and the Face of God. Now, I managed to get through my entire educational experience, master's, doctorate, college, everything, without taking one physics course. I did not, because that's for the, that was for the smart people, the smart people who knew about the squiggles and the, right, sure. uh, those kinds of things. And so I said to myself, okay, I'm going to take this course. It's a Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. 
I was sure I wasn't going to understand anything. So I brought two friends with me and we were sat way in the back because we were going to leave immediately, right? Yeah. Well, it changed my life. Wow. And it changed my life because I understood the concept of the equation E equals MC squared, which means that energy is matter times the speed of light squared. So if we can go 286,000 miles per second squared, we'd all be white light. And all of this stuff is an illusion. And so what he began to show me was that whole theory of relativity comes from the fact that time and space are relative and not absolute. So that began my journey as to what is real, what is really real, and what is an illusion created by our senses. So I developed this model using time and space. And what I did was I recognized that thought is the culprit of the problem, okay? And so I said to myself, not real thought, the one that I mentioned before, right. but feelings have been using thought to discharge themselves because feelings need to be acted upon and then it would dissipate itself. But since you're not allowed to use your feelings, it had to find a way. So it created a thought, put itself on a thought like a horseback rider on a horse and got discharged that way. The problem is that it takes you out of the present moment. So let's listen to how we would structure the present moment in language. The present moment in language is I am. Am is a present tense verb that lets you know you're in the now. And I is a pronoun that lets you know your attention is focused internally on what's going on internally in your body. So if you're, if, so you want to be I am. So you first have to find out where you are in order to get back to where you want to be. That's why the book is called the GPS, because it's just like a GPS in the car. If you go in the car, you can't, it's not going to take you to where you want to be until you know where you are. So I had this wonderful aha, which says, don't listen to the content of the thought. Listen to how the thought is created using words. And then we can pick out the time space words. Like, for example, what if? always, should, ever, are all future words. Right. So it doesn't matter what the content of the thought is. It matters that it's taking you to the future. Mm -hmm. And so that the timeline on the model is that uh, the horizontal line is time, the vertical line is space. Even though the vertical line really should be out, it's up because when you have paper, it's only two dimensions. Right, so, sure. Right. Okay. So, so you look for the words, what if, should, ever, and that, so now you know you're in the future. So that's the first step to getting back to the present. On the other side of the timeline, if you listen to words like shoulda, coulda, woulda, and did, and was, those take you where? To the past. Of course. Now you know where you are on the timeline. The space line says to you, where do you put your attention? Do you put your attention internally, listen to those organs, to the membranes of your cells, to the circulatory systems, the nervous systems, or are you focused out there on he, she, they, the company, the government, whatever it is, okay? So you begin to, in, in the sentence of your thought, if you say, he's such a jerk, okay, then you can't, you, you can't be I because you're focused on he. Right. So you, Right? So you begin to first get yourself in the lay of the land. Where are you? Okay? So then what you do is you separate the thought from the feeling. Because I told you, feelings get piggybacked onto the thought. So now we know that the thought is the future. The feeling that takes you to the future is called anxiety. 
the feeling that takes you to the past is called sadness. And the feeling that takes you to other people and things is called frustration. Yeah. And I want to, I want to stop you right there because that is so crucial. I loved reading your book because it is so exciting to learn such a straightforward explanation about how all this works and it makes sense. So I love what you said about how, you know, in a nanosecond, we combine thoughts with feelings and that's not a good thing, is it? No. Not a good thing. No. And, and we don't even know we're doing it. Exactly. Exactly. The first step to any kind of transformation is awareness. So what he taught me and what um, my wonderful teacher in Cambridge that course quantum physics taught me was that Einstein said you can't solve a problem with information that you use to create the problem. Okay? So we can't solve problems like, you know, uh, fear and, and anger and guilt and shame and all that stuff with stuff like what happened to your mother or what happened right. to your I'm just so, going to repeat that. We can't solve problems with information that was used to create the problem. Perfect. Right? Yeah. Perfectly articulated. Beautiful. And so I took the science of quantum physics and I said, we're going to use the principles of quantum physics to solve the problem of personal suffering. That's what I did. And what I realized way into the whole thing is that Buddhism is quantum physics in a science. That's yes. all it is. It's a beautiful combination of consciousness and science, which is what you were talking about at the beginning of the yeah. program. Okay. So what happens is that you identify where you are, then you come back and put your attention on the feeling that you didn't act on. Okay, so let's just use anxiety. So you start to feel anxiety, which is these butterflies in your stomach, you know, you get all these butterflies, your hands start sweating and your heart starts beating. So that's anxiety. So what you realize is, okay, I have piggybacked that because now I'm feeling fear. And I, and I know that because I'm using words like what if, et cetera, so So then I come back and put my attention on the absolute experience of the anxiety, the butterflies. Everybody tells you to avoid it. More women are taking anti-anxiety drugs than any other drug in this country. It's okay? terrible. It's terrible. And so it's the exact opposite that's going to save you, which is you put your attention directly on the butterflies. How many are there? Are they flying around? Are they on branches? What colors are they? And then instead of being the bad lady in New York City, which was where the thought takes you, what if I can't pay my rent and I'm going to be a bad lady in New York City? Putting the attention on the anxiety jumpstarts the superior intelligence of the body, and the body automatically recalibrates you to what you're putting your attention on, which is here and now. Yes. That's how simple it is. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's so simple that people complicate it, right? We complicate it and make it into this big, huge thing. And in fact, it's actually simple. It's very simple. The pro there's only one problem. The problem is we are addicted to those stories in our head. Yes. So we have, to, we have to give it the reverence that it deserves because addictions are not easy, okay? And we have to give it the power because it's not just something that we do. We're addicted. And so we have to shift what we pay attention on. We can't pay attention to the content of the story. We have to pay attention that to the words that create the thoughts of the story. And then we'll know where we are in time and space. And we'll know what feeling we piggybacked. We'll come back and focus on the feeling. And voila, the body will do what it does. It heals the cut. It brings us back to the present moment. 
it's a remarkable gift. And I got, I had one client today this morning. Okay. And I just want to read you if I can find it. If I can't find it, we won't go. Okay. It's, uh, she said to the person who referred her, thank you so much for recommending Faye. I already feel so free going to start with five sessions. First session. Wow. Incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, well, it's just incredible knowledge that you are sharing with the world. And I love your insight into guilt. Let's talk about guilt. What is guilt? Guilt is amazing. Guilt is going back into the past and reliving the event, but with you as the problem. Okay? So Uh what happens is that sadness is what closes an event. The event needs to be closed because every event has a beginning, a middle, and an end. So sadness is the feeling that goes along with endings. It's, it's like this big sort of amoeba right over your heart area. And when you pay attention to that, the parenthesis comes down, takes it out of the present moment, and you never have to think about it again because the wisdoms from that experience are already encoded on your DNA. So there is no such thing as guilt. Guilt is only powerful because of its punishment. If you go into a court of law and the judge says, guilty, and you say, thank you very much, and you leave, what good is that? It only... <laughs> Guilt is a form of punishment. That's all it is. And so why would one punish themselves? By choice. That makes no sense. So you know that there's something that that person doesn't feel good about what they did. They have to close it. We all have done things that we are very proud of in our lives. We've all done things that we're not so proud of in our lives. But it doesn't matter because I have something very profound to say here, which is, you know, we have lots of experiences in our lives and some we charge positively and some we charge negatively. If we really recognize that the nature of being in the present moment is to create the next moment, then there are no charges. They're all the same. So we don't have to look back at the positive ones or look back at the negative ones. We have to know that the function of being in the moment is to create the next moment. Oh, now, Mindful Tribe, you need to get your hands on this book, The GPS to Self-Powerment. And we're so, I know for me, I'm so used to saying the word empowerment. It's not empowerment. The GPS to Self-Powerment. Why did you take the E-M off the word? Why is it powerment instead of self-powerment, Dr. Fay? Because empowerment means that somebody has to help you. You don't need any help from anyone. It's all inside of you. When the sperm at the egg and you became you, everything you need to know about being a human is already encoded. Do you think that the lioness goes to read a self-help book about how to be a mama? It's ridiculous, right? (laughs) I don't think so either. And there was a beautiful couple of days ago on Facebook where they had this sea otter. And the sea otter was holding its baby and it was cuddling it and the baby was cooing. You think that that we don't know how to be mamas? That's ridiculous. It's a three billion industry that should be thrown out of this world. Well, you have another book, which I think is fascinating. You have another book called The Children's Book for Parents. So why do we need a book about how to be parents then, Dr. Faye? Because this book only tells you that you need to be able to get inside of the mind of the child. Most parents, you know, why why do we call 
young little people, children. It's because they're learning. They don't know. And they won't know until they're about 18. We have the longest learning period of any species on the face of the earth. So the issue is when a kid comes down the stairs and he has one orange sock and one green sock, and mama says, you just turn right around and you put on two orange socks or green, two green socks. And the kid goes, why? And the mom said, because that's the way you do it. Everything has to be color coordinated. You have to do orange and two, two red. So he learns, okay, that what he did was bad or wrong. Now, about in the last 10 years, do you know how phenomenal men's socks are? They're orange and they're green and they're lines and they're bells and they're everything. But somebody said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I'm going to make socks that are fun and exciting and interesting. And so that whole idea of color coordination is out the window. Yes. Out the window. You see, so what you need to do is you need to understand that you automatically assume that the child knows what it should or shouldn't be doing. And that's what childhood is about, is then to learn what they should or should be doing. So how do you expect them to know it? And then you put them in timeout or you put them in the corner because they don't know it. But they're children. How could they know it? That's what childhood is all about, is learning how, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable in the world of humans. Because, oh, this is the other um, one that I want to share. So our, our cells have membranes. And those membranes are intelligent. They have the ability to sense and react. This is good for you to go forward. This is bad for you to go back. Okay? So what else uses zeros and ones? The computer. Okay? Right. But the computer uses zeros and ones, and it codes the responses like zero is an A, uh, one is a B, zero, one is a C, etc. When you go into your DNA, you have natural coding from nature. You know it already because we were given it when the sperm hit the egg. That's right. Well, it is. I don't know whether it's right. I just know it is. You know what I mean? So, So the point I'm trying to make is that if we can shift our attention from out there or up here to in here, we have three billion or more cells that are giving us information moment by moment by moment. We have our organs, we have our circulatory systems, we have our and we never listen to this information. And it's all coded by nature. So all we have to do is turn our attention there. Joseph Campbell wrote a book called The Inner Reaches of Outer Space, in which he postulates that we are as vast from the skin inward as the universe is from the skin outward. That's how vast we are. And do we ever pay attention to in here? No, because culture tells us that would be impulsive or histrionic or if you're a woman, premenstrual. But it doesn't encourage in any way using the information from what we were given of, uh, of a billion years of evolution. Isn't Joseph Campbell amazing? His concepts are just unbelievable. I just love what he writes. Unbelievable. There's no question. Yeah. So, um, so I want to and I want to ask you about this. Please. Eckhart Tolle talks about you and your book and what an important contribution to the transformation of human consciousness you have made. And I mean, what a statement. He says, your book takes readers on a journey of self-awareness, which how did this happen? How did Eckhart Tolle end up noticing your book and making these kind of comments about it? Well, it's a fabulous question because random is the order of the universe. Okay. That's yeah. how it, it happened that 
I was giving my book to various people even before it was published. And one of the people happened to know Oprah. And okay. she knew she knew um, uh, the publisher of Namaste, Connie Keller. And so he sent the book to her. It's a little book. My book isn't very big, but it's pretty dense. But it isn't very big. And so she threw it on her nightstand. And that night she had an upset stomach. She had had lots of books given to her because Eckhart's book was starting to gain momentum. But she picked up my book because it was right there on her bed table. Uh-huh. And she started uh-huh. to read it. And she called me the next day and said, I'm going to publish your book. And I said, okay. And the first book she published was The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And mine was the second. So she gave him the book. And she said, would you read this and endorse it? And that was what he came up with. And wow. he has not endorsed any other book since I don't think. Maybe one. Just doesn't wow. endorse books. Wow, that's just incredible. And that was a few years ago, right? Didn't you publish it in 2013? I published my book way before 2013. Well, actually, that's when the one of the last reprints came out, right? Yes, one of the thir- 2013 was the last reprint. But the book was published. I'm going to date myself if I tell you, and I really can't even tell you, because this is how I do time. Not yet and before now. So if you ask me, when did it happen? I'll say before now or not yet. What difference does it make if it was 1975 or 1973? I mean, it's, it's a detail that is irrelevant that people use to wallow in the weeds so that they can't see the whole picture. You know, so yeah. I'm not a detail girl at all. Um, and I, I, I do do this. I'll tell you that I save some money every year. Because I don't save things like phone bills or things like that. So if I have to pay for something that I should have had a piece of paper about, I have some money saved to do that. I see. You see what I mean? So are so, you a minimalist then? I don't know whether I'm a minimalist. I like things, but I don't need them. Yeah. I, you know, I've had, in my life, I've had a lot of abundance and I've had a lot of scarcity. And it makes no difference. Because the thing you have to be grateful for is having a life. Not what's in it. Nobody has gratitude for living a life and for having one. And it's a gift because there are three, five, seven billion sperms. If one of those other sperms to hit that egg, I wouldn't be sitting there talking to you. Right. So you already won the lottery. (laughs) Yes. Doesn't that make sense? It does make sense. Yes. And nobody seems to be concerned about it. I find that quite remarkable. I really do. Yeah, it is remarkable. That's for sure. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question about bullying because I've worked in the field of bullying for years, for about a decade. Do you have a story that you can share with us where understanding self-powerment would have made a difference or understanding these concepts? Do you have a story maybe when you were a child or as an adult? For me, I've never been bullied. Because I, there's a difference between a person who does I and a person who does I am. We're all connected. So if we're all connected, what happens to you affects me. So I would never bully you or you would never bully me. The bully has an issue with power and control. That's all it is. The person who's being bullied, it's random, actually. The person, the bully is trying to feel powerful and in control of his or her own life because they don't feel powerful or in control of their, their lives, at, you know, as human beings. So what I would do if I was being bullied by somebody is I'd tell them how terrific they were. 
And I told them how extraordinary they were. And I told them how handsome they were. And I would tell them how sexy they were. And I would just take away the whole need for them to have power and control because I would give it to them. You know, there's a wonderful book by um, Spence. It's How to Argue and Win Every Time It's by a Lawyer. Okay. Let me see if I can just find his book right here. So I usually have it with me, but uh, I don't have it here. But anyway. Um, How to Argue and Win Every Time. Uh, Is that what it's called? Yes, that's what it's called. By, and his last name is Spence. I can't remember his first name. And what he does is when he starts a trial, he goes to the jury and he says, no matter how good my arguments are, no matter how good my experts are, no matter how good my exhibits are, you have the control of what's going to happen to my client. So he gives them, the, tells them that they have the control so they don't feel manipulated, that they don't feel, because the truth is, they do have them. Right. And that's the same thing you have to do with the bully. You have to show the bully that the bully has control of his own life. I love that. His name yeah. is Jerry Spence. Does thank that ring a bell? Jerry. Thank you so much. Yeah. I his first name, but his name is Jerry Spence, and he is remarkable. I have surrounding on my desk several books, uh-huh. and the energetic of the books uh, call me because when, oh, this is what, when you're present, you don't, you, so when you're thinking, you get information or data, but when you're present, you get information or pattern. Pattern is repeatable and scalable. It's clear. It's easy. So you don't have to get these you know, silly data bits that you have to put together. You, you get the code of the universe showing you the patterns. Okay. And Einstein said that all medicine will soon be frequencies because it's all about vibrations and it's all about patterns. And so if you can connect into that level, then you can partner with the universe. So, so I just want to read you some of the topics of the books that I have on my show. On my yeah, desk. please do. The first one is called The Eye That Sees Itself by Shimon Mallon. Okay. He's a physicist and he taught me the difference between duality and unity, a Buddhist concept of 5,000 years ago. And I'll, I'll tell you that one later. Another book is called The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Yeah, I know that one. Okay. Living Beautifully with Uncertainty and Change by Perma Chodrone. Yes. The Strange Order of Things, Life, Feelings, and the Making of Culture by Antonio Damasio. And I could go on and on and on and on and on because I am in love with books. Uh, But I don't read a book. I interact with a book. I underline. I put question marks. I uh, ask questions. I research it. It becomes a living being for me. And so... Uh, you know, there was somebody who said you're not supposed to, I think it was um, Osho, who said you're not supposed to dishonor a book by underlining it. Totally ridiculous. I think so, too. I totally agree. I underline, I I fold pages, I do all kinds of things because I want that book to be personalized. I, yes. I write Perfect. notes all over the place. Perfect. So I'm going to read you this quote from The Eye That Sees Itself. It's very deep, and I won't go there very often today, but this is this is one that... You know, it just took me to a whole different level. You ready? Yes. Yeah. The recognition of the I amness at the center of every impression is the key that opens the gate to experience of the I am. The recognition of this I amness is passive. It comes when ordinary activity ceases. Yet through the recognition, one comes to do 
truly active, the real doing, the authentic expression of I am. So what I did, I said, is I said the action illuminates the I amness. So I was doing the dishes a couple of weeks after, and I have a dishwasher that hasn't been working for four months, and I just turned to look at the dishwasher, and I said, I wonder if people would think if we just hear that I don't have a dishwasher. And I said, hey, what are you doing? And then I got it. I said, it's not Faye doing the dishes, because if Faye is doing the dishes, there's a space between Faye and doing the dishes. That's the duality. And in there can come the deceptions and the stories and the prejudice. But if doing the dishes is the manifest of I am, then there's no space, and that's unity. I love that. (laughs) That is awesome. Is that awesome or is that awesome? Oh, definitely. It is so cool. That is great. We have to thank Shimon Mellon, who's a quantum physicist, for that. Oh, wow. You see where, see how the two quantum physics and consciousness and awareness and the concepts that make um, the whole thing meaningful merge together. And you're thinking about writing another book. What are you going to write your next book about, Dr. Faye? Oh, you're so smart to ask that question. There are three basic things that one has to do to live a life of focus, clarity, peace, happiness, all the things that you start your life. So the first one is you have to come to the present moment. You can't get any of this stuff if you're not in the present moment. So you have to know the model. By the way, there's a 10-minute presentation of my model on my website called being-present.com. Being, B-E-I-N-G-present.com. It's free. And it's awesome. I will cut right in here. It is so good. You know what I did? I typed every word you said. I listened to it. I typed it. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's communicated so brilliantly and so clearly. So yes, go to that video because it's phenomenal. Please. And it's free. And if you have any questions, you can call me and I'll answer them. I promise. And because for me, It's not about intellectual property. For me, it's about getting this stuff to every human being on the face of the earth. And how do we call you? You call me at 401-578-9936. That's my number. Wow. And your website is being-present.com. Being with a hyphen between being-present.com. It's that easy. And it's incredible, incredible, incredible stuff. So, so yeah, you were just getting to what your new book is going to be right. about. So that was the first, first is you have to be present. Right. So you have to learn the model. You have to learn how to use it. It has to become like you. The second step is you have to disrupt your patterns. You have to put yourself in positions of discomfort so that you can find new resources inside of your body. And the third one, and this is, we have to pay attention. So the third one is putting your attention on your intention coupled with a higher emotion. And I'll explain that. So I visualize attention as like the pixels on a television, except that they're all sort of floating around. So what you have to do is you have to gather your pixels, gather your attention and put it on what you're doing right now. So a friend of mine says, well, If you're brushing your teeth, why can't you think about other things? It's an automatic thing. I said, because you need your mind open to imagine possibilities without even knowing 
how to manifest those possibilities. So you think that somebody was brushing their teeth and they thought, well, let's use some electricity and see whether we can make this a little easier and that's how the electric toothbrush was, you know, created in somebody's mind. Or for me, I was thinking about, you know, a couple of days ago, brushing my teeth and where else could brushing help me? And so I was thinking about brushing, you know, people brush when they do the floors, but where else could I? And so that's what I was, that's where I was. I, my mind was open to letting the experience that I was in create possibilities, just like Heisinger did when he was on the campus. And he saw that things, unless they're in relationship to something else, are not visible, they're not real. Change the whole structure of reality. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Do you think I, that he would have been able to do that if he was thinking about, oh my God, I had a fight with my girlfriend and you know it was so terrible, or I you know I didn't make my numbers this week, and oh my God, it never would have. Been. No, no, it wouldn't have. Right. So that's why you fully put your attention on your intention and you couple it with the higher emotions. And I think this is the last thing I'm going to say. The higher emotions are what drives you when you're present. And there are six of them. Ready? Uh-huh, I'm ready. Okay, service, compassion, integrity, accountability, courage, and gratitude. So if you are living your intention with all of your attention and you're coupled it with one of the six things that I just told you, you can't lose. Because either you're going to succeed or learn. Failure is a human concept made up to make people feel bad. It has nothing to do with the truth. Nothing. I love that. Mm -hmm. Service. Compassion. Compassion. Integrity. Accountability. Accountability. Courage and gratitude. That's it. Wow. So awesome. What? Oh, your book. Everything that, that I've seen that you've done is absolutely mind-blowing. It's amazing. And so many people are out there writing things. And yet when you write things, it it's so crystal clear and easy to understand what you're talking about. Because I was a dancer for the first 12 years of my life. Oh, were you? I wasn't you? interested in any sort of intellectual abstract until, well, it was a little before 12, because I was in sixth grade in New York City, and we had to take this test. And I was always, in New York City, they had five, uh, you know, classes like five one, five two, and five three. Five one were for the smart kids, five two were sort of in the middle, and five three were for what they considered not to learn. So I was always in five two. Okay, and I and I was never interested in school. I couldn't wait to get out so I could go dance. Okay, so in the beginning of the sixth grade, I took this test, and it was these abstract figures. I thought it was fascinating, and I finished before everybody else, and I left. And my my mother gets a call from school the following week, saying that both my parents have to come in, and so they sit me down. What did you do, Faye? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I have no idea why they called. Yeah. And so they called and they said that I came out number one on the test in New York City. And so they were moving me from 6-2 to 6-1. And so that was my first sort of interest in intellectual endeavors. Seriously. Cool. That's why, that's why it's easy because I'm not from that space. I'm not what from- did you do after you became a dancer and then you moved on from that? Well, I got rejected from the High School of Performing Arts because I'm five feet and I'm, I have a curviest body. And when, when, when I was growing up, in order to be a dancer, you have to be 5'8 or 5'9. You have to be life very thin. So even though I was good, I was really good. I thought I was really good. People thought I was good. I didn't have this 
the physical requirement. Mm-hmm. And so then I became a juvenile delinquent for a little bit. And then I went to college and took my first psychology course. And that's when I knew what I was destined for. Well, you've certainly been a gift to the world with all this knowledge that you're sharing. As we move ahead, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Who is one person who has influenced all of this in your life, all of this self-powerment and all of this? Who's one person that you would say? Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein? Yeah. If you asked me when I was 20 or 25, who would I say it would not have been him? Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. You know, and in in the real world, um, in the world of the living, I have to say it was my dad. Ah. Okay. So your dad was a wonderful, powerful influence on you. Yes. He told me I had stamina. And he believed in you, I'm sure. Absolutely. Total belief system in me. Right. Okay. Number two, how has mindfulness or self-powerment affected your emotions? So I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2016. And people asked me, what did I feel when I heard that? And I said, I didn't feel anything. It is what it is. I can choose to make things big or little. And so I took, and actually I didn't have pancreatic cancer. I had intestinal cancer. I went through a seven and a half hour operation called a Whipple. And then I had chemo and various other things. But look, I do yoga four times a week. I play golf. I'm, I have a full-time practice. I have a social life. I have three wonderful kids. I have, So this is what I did. And, I, and anybody who has this illness, I would suggest you do the same. You take a 20 by 20 piece of white piece of paper and a number two pencil and sharpen it to you so sharp. Put a little dot right in the middle of the page, fold up the piece of paper, put it in a carton, put the carton in the attic, put all sorts of other cartons on top of it. And that's the amount of attention I give to the fact that I have that. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Absolutely. That's, that's very and, interesting. And I will tell you that this last time that I went for my blood work, my numbers were down. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Well, tell us about breathing. How is breathing part of your life and part of what you do? Breathing is essential because I do Bikram Yoga and we start with 60 breaths every, that's the first thing we do in Bikram Yoga and we end with 60 breaths. So breathing is the thing that connects us from the inside to the outside. And so breathing is our way of relating to the world. Also, the, um, one other thing that's important is that that nature has intention. So the sun is here to show us that we can never have to be cold. There's always warmth around. Plants show us that you die, but then in the spring you are reborn. So everything in nature has an intention. Our job is to figure it out. Ah, I love that. That's great. Yes, our job is to figure it out and never, never stop figuring things out. That's what I say, you know, for sure. You've recommended a number of books. I'll put them in the show notes, mindfulnessmode.com. Check it out. You can check out lots of details about this episode. And can you share an app? Are there any apps you use to help you to be more, you know, focused or for self-empowerment? It's, I use the app called Mindfulness Bell. Mindfulness Bell. Bell, B-E-L-L. And it's a, an app that you can set randomly and it rings during the day. 
And the, when it rings, it says something like, you know, be mindful or whatever. But I want people to say, where am I? In time and space. So when the bell rings to say, am I present or am I in the future or am I in the past? Am I focused on other people and things? So that you get accustomed not to listening to the content of the thought, but to listen to where the thought takes you in time and space. Which I think it's a dollar if it's anything. It might even be free, the app. Mm-hmm. That's well. That. You know, I just, I just so honored to have you as a guest on Mindfulness Mode. The book is called The GPS to Self-Powerment, and it is terrific. You can check out the website. Dr. Faye's website is being-present.com. So check out Dr. Faye Mandel's website. Dr. Mandel, thank you. Thank you for being a guest on my show. It was a pleasure. I enjoyed every moment. Thank you so much. Me too. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. Remember to sign up for the free online summit, the Inspirational Leadership Summit. Go to mindfulnessmode.com slash I-L-S, Inspirational Leadership Summit. So many terrific interviews, a science-based look at leadership in today's world. The world's most respected thought leaders and experts reveal strategies on how to become an inspirational leader achieve health, happiness, and success. This summit starts November 5th, goes November 5th to the 7th with over 35 speakers, including me, yours truly. So exciting to be on the summit. So remember, Mindful Tribe, use what we learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.